0: Ready? All right, welcome. Good evening. Good evening. Mara. good evening. Val, good evening. Lakotas, good evening. Welcome. Good to see you. Good evening. Rachel, good evening. Sam? Welcome. Good evening. Uh, first, we're going to start with a seating chart. Um, so I'm going to go ahead and take roll call real quick. Uh, just kidding. Uh, if you didn't grab uh, these two sheets, they were available. I can't say that they're still available, but they were available uh, on the table as you came in. They are uh, a couple things for the, the year, and some, of the, yeah, basically some things for the year. So, for those of you who do not know, my name is Eric Holst. Um, Some people just come to Wednesday nights that aren't a part of Timberwood Church, and so welcome if you're one of those folks. Glad to have you with us, and we are going to open up with a word of prayer and then dive in. So let's pray. Lord God, we come to you tonight, and we are just so grateful to be back uh, on Wednesday nights together in this place where we get to dive into your word and to hear from you through the gospel of Matthew and through each other. And we just thank you for, for creating this pathway and revealing yourself to us through your son, Jesus Christ, through your word and desiring to communicate to us. And so we just pray tonight that you would send your spirit among us as we seek to be open and receptive to you and to what it is that you desire from us and, and for us. We pray for this year as we We'll be embarking on this journey together. We ask for your grace and your mercy, your patience to be with us and with each other as we as a collective group seek to grow in our understanding of who you are and how you desire for this body to function together, how you desire for us to live as your disciples in this world. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so I, um, I got to say I love to do different things. Uh, oftentimes it drives Nikki um, a little bit up the wall uh, because I like to switch things up a little bit. And one of the most classic stories of this was, um, I've told this to the youth group before, but uh, I started baking at a very young age, and one of the things that I loved to make were these monster cookies. Uh, and my mom was gone, and I thought, you know what? I've made these monster cookies so many times. Let's just switch it up a little bit. And so I opened the, uh, the cupboard where the spices were. Now, mind you, this monster cookie recipe at the time cost about $17 to make, which based on inflation, when you carry the three, is about $50 today. And so I thought, well, maybe one of these extracts could make it better. Because if you just do the same thing every time, you don't know, maybe you're missing the, the key to unlock something that is going to be even better. Except this time, the peppermint extract in the monster cookies was not better. It was actually terrible. And being the frugal and uh, always wanting to teach, uh, have a teachable moment for her child, we could not make more baked goods until the giant, massive batch of monster cookies, peppermint extract and all, were gone. <laughs> to this day, it haunts me. <laughs> so, uh, as we embark on this journey uh, around the book of, or the Gospel of Matthew, we're going to try some new things this year, and we're going to try some things that might um, might be actually terrible, <laughs> but we're going to try them together, uh, and, and we're going to see what happens. And so if we try something, and you're like, yep, yeah, this is terrible, fear not, <laughs> we'll probably change it. <laughs> and so I uh, encourage you to uh, stick with it, and maybe we will unlock something that is quite Delightful. So, what are we doing here? uh, Is the first question I have down on my paper. Well, part of what we're doing here is you know, so often we live in a world of individualism where we sit down to read the Bible as an individual as if God wrote this set of scriptures to us. And so we crack open the Bible and we read the Bible as if. God's letter to me is here bound together into these 66 things that we call books. The problem with that is that's never what the Bible was intended to be. In particular, when we look at things like the Gospels, the Gospels were written to a group of people. So they would all gather together to listen to the word of God to be proclaimed amongst them, where then they would exchange ideas around what they were hearing. Sometimes it would be taught on or expounded upon, but it was never done in isolation. So no one sat at home with their tablet of Scripture. For one thing, many of the people couldn't read, and it wasn't available to them. And so what we are doing here is very much what the Bible was intended to be for for a group of people who are followers of Jesus Christ in the New Testament to gather together to hear the word of God and then to exchange ideas around what they're hearing and experiencing. Uh, One of my favorite uh, theologians, his name is Tim Gombas. He's a biblical scholar. And Amanda and Betsy make fun of me and they say that I have a man crush on him. And typically when somebody says that and then you get flush, it's probably revealing that you probably do. I've never met this person, um, but we have emailed back and forth. And he has this great analogy when it comes to exploring Scripture. And he talks about this idea of, imagine if we all loaded up in a bus. Maybe of you are already having a current nightmare. <laughs> all of us together on one giant bus, or maybe two. And we all headed out uh, to say... Uh, to Yellowstone together. And so we pull into Yellowstone or uh, let's not go Yellowstone. Let's go to the Grand Teton National Park. We pull off at Moose Junction and we go over to the visitor center. And, and you've never been to Grand Teton National Park. So you go in and you're looking at all of the pictures of, of various things that exist within the park. The different mountain peaks and you know, Mount Moran and the Skillet Glacier and all these things, and pictures of big bull moose, and you're flipping through books, and you're buying souvenirs. You're like, this is awesome. I'm like, all right, let's go. We're going to go explore. Why? Well, because this is not exactly an accurate representation of what's taking place. Well, I know, but but there's bears out there. <laughs> yeah, but we'll we'll be together. Well, maybe if we don't maybe we're not going to see a moose and I can see this beautiful picture of this moose right here. And we leave ourselves stranded within the gift shop of God's word and what God desires for us. We don't go out and explore the majesty of all that resides out within the nooks and crannies of the National Park. And I think I used this same example last year, and so if you've heard it before, uh, you're like, God, it feels like I've heard that before. Well, this is what happens when I'm 40. I just say the same thing just because I think things, and then I'm like, I'm just going to say this because if I don't say it, and then they're like, well, didn't you say that? Or I think I said it, and they're like, no, you definitely didn't say that. Well, I thought it, so doesn't that count? So what we're going to do is we are all going to go on this journey together through the gospel of Matthew. We're going to get out of the gift shop and we're going to explore what Matthew is trying to illustrate and communicate to us through his gospel. And the beautiful thing about us all being together from a wide variety of places is each one of us will see things differently and notice things that others of us won't notice And if we don't have each other here to see and to point out things, we're going to miss things. Because we all have certain perspectives, and we all see certain things that other people can't see unless we speak up and say, did you notice that? Chances are we might not have noticed that. Or maybe somebody that's sitting on the other side of the room also noticed that, But they are maybe unaware or unsure of speaking up and saying that. Like, Miranda can be kind of shy. And so, you know, Heather's got an idea. And she's like, I don't know if I should share that. But Miranda has the same idea. Heather has the boldness to say, I have this idea. And Miranda's like, I had that same idea. Thank you. So I know that I am not an expert. I'm not a biblical scholar. Um, I'm not even a a professional theologian. And so, there can be this tendency, if I say something, you think, well, that must be the answer because Eric said it. And and many of you know, that's probably not actually true. (laughs) Maybe there could be a different answer. And so, I covet your engagement with some things that we're going to come across uh, to share with the group so that we can see this in the fullest, most technicolor way that God has intended for us to engage with uh, this thing that is called the Gospels. So, if something sticks out to you, or maybe something sticks in you, Like, oh, that didn't feel very good. I beg you to... Let's try this. Okay. Okay, just try it for me. Just one time. Okay. Can we do it with our left hand? And for all the Pentecostals, maybe we'll do it with both hands. Yes! Okay? So feel free to just, you know shoot your hand up and say, "Um, excuse me, could we go back over that thing about what you just said? Um, So as we approach the Gospels or the Gospel of Matthew, um, one of the things that we're going to have an opportunity to do is to uh, look at some of the interchange that exists between the various Gospels. So when we talk about um, the New Testament, what occurs after the Old Testament in our scriptures. The first four books that aren't, we call them books, but they're not technically books. They're called gospels. They're representations of Jesus's life. The first three, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, are very similar. And so we, we refer to them as, to, as the synoptic gospels because they're very similar. And this Really awesome book, um, and I know some of you think, "Can I borrow this?" You can't because it's not mine. Um, it lays out how Matthew does approaches things, how Mark approaches things, and how Luke approaches things, so we can compare and contrast. Why does Matthew talk about this particular thing in this way, and Mark represents it this way, and Luke? maybe doesn't represent it at all. So we scratch our heads and then we're like, well, first question, yes, in the back. Why are we talking about John? Great question. The bold person in the back. You're all looking. Who is it? <laughs> They're not there. They must have ducked down. Because John is just a completely different thing. And if you remember back when we went through John um now we just say a number of years ago, because <laughs> I don't remember when was that, like six years ago, five years ago, who knows, we all went through it together, many of us did. Um, John is a different approach to what he is trying to do. So we're going to look at how those things fit together. That's why I printed off this uh, fancy little diagram, for those of you who are into diagrams, um, charts, charts and graphs, um, this comes out of... Uh, this sweet new uh, book by N.T. Wright and Michael Bird, it's kind of like a Bible dictionary of the New Testament. Um, has some really great things in there, and, and they put together this chart uh, of everything that occurs only in the Gospel of Matthew. So as we come across certain things, you'll see that uh, these, are the, these only occurred in Matthew, which makes us ask... Why did Matthew find it of utmost importance to include these particular things? When yes, early. I think, I, I think it's in the Bible. Early bird gets the worm. <laughs> 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 uh, were there no more of these out on the on the table? No. Okay. Um, you, all of those that missed that, um, you can come up, I'll get you some after the, after the class or after our time together. I thought I had printed a sufficient number and I clearly hadn't, so sorry for that. Uh, so we have some interesting things that Matthew only talks about and so we ask ourselves, why does Matthew talk about these things in a particular way? And so we're going to have some fun doing that. There's all these different approaches for us as we come to uh, narrative, or as we come to various. Uh, are you guys sharing? How kind of you. Okay, yeah, yeah, great. Friends, friends, not in low places, just right behind you. Um, so as we come to different texts, we come with different approaches, and so often we come with this. Uh, pickaxe approach where we come to a particular passage or we come to a section of, of scripture and we're, we get out our pickaxe and our little pan we try and mine for, for nuggets of gold that exist within the text. Well, Matthew's gospel isn't written to produce nuggets. And so when we go to... Uh, produce nuggets of gold, it's not supposed to do that because Matthew is telling us the story of Jesus in a particular way. And so certain things will jump out to you and you'll say, oh, yes, that's where that's from. What I want us to do is step back and say, well, what is happening all around that? So not just, well, that's a really interesting thing, but why is it interesting and what is it doing within the larger context um, of the verses? Uh, Craig Blomberg, in his commentary says, none of the Gospels is a history or a biography of Jesus according to modern standards, Or precision in reporting, accuracy in quotation, or nature of materials included and excluded. So when we have Matthew writing this down, he's not trying to write an exhaustive biography of Jesus Christ. He's not even trying to give us the most accurate chronological representation of Jesus' life. I know for some of us, that lands maybe sideways because when we've come to reading the Gospels, we think, well, this is is how Jesus' life played out from beginning to end. And if we put them all together, we can piece together how exactly his life took place. Except that wasn't the intention of writing the Gospels. It wasn't intended. Matthew's not writing To give us this factual representation of a biographical presentation of the life of Jesus, what he's trying to do is communicate and bridge the gap from a Jewish audience who has come to follow the Messiah and give them a lasting understanding of what Jesus was doing while he was here on earth and through his death and resurrection. And so that they can remember who Jesus was and what it means to be a disciple. And so when we, when we have challenges with what we deem as an accurate or inaccurate representation of, you know, it's, Mark says it this way and Matthew says it this way, so who's right and who's wrong? Well, they're writing for different reasons, and so we're going to come across some of that, and it make, make, might make us feel uncomfortable, and that's okay. Because what I want us to start with is how Matthew starts and ends the gospel that he has written. So it starts like this. In 123, you can certainly open there if you'd like. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. So that's at the very beginning. He's starting us with the reality of Jesus coming, meaning that God is going to be with us. And then let's flip all the way to the end and see how he concludes his gospel, and it gives us a glimpse of what he's trying to do through writing this story down. So way in the end, in and 28, the very last verse, Jesus has risen, he's given them the great commission, and these are the words of Jesus. He says, Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in then name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Verse 19 teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So Matthew gives us this fascinating phrase sandwich to start and end his gospel to communicate what is he trying to show us and tell us about the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. That we want to know that God has come to be with us. He has been with us and he will be with us forever. And so one of the things I'm going to challenge you with, and I've been challenging us with this for a while on various books, is between this week and next week to write down a singular, extremely long, compound, run-on, grammatically terrible sentence that summarizes what is Matthew doing in his gospel. And I just gave you a clue. He's trying to communicate to us that God has come to be with us and that God will always be with us through Jesus Christ. All right, so the first thing we're going to do that's going to be awkward and challenging for us I warned you. <laughs> it might be a great time if you need to, like, you know, go look for the handouts that aren't there. We see you. So, what I want you to do is group up in roughly five people, no more than seven. Uh, and we're going to answer this question or these two questions. Are you ready for the questions? Some of you are like, no, I'm not. I'm not even sure. If I was sitting at home, I could like, you know, turn the channel. (laughs) But you're here, and I thank you for that, and I really appreciate it. So tonight, we're going to get in these little pockets. We're going to meet our neighbors, meet our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ with these two questions. How did you get here? Don't say the type of vehicle you drove. Basically, why have you chosen to be here in this room tonight? And then, what is your favorite story that isn't in the Bible? Because we'd all we would all lie. We'd be like, "Oh yeah, my favorite story is Jesus' birth." We just keep our Sunday school answers to ourselves. What is your favorite story? It could be a book, it could be a short story, Um, what is your favorite story? Maybe it's, you know, the three little pigs. I don't know. All right? So group up five to seven people or less if you want to go less. Don't go more than seven. Introduce yourselves. How did you get here tonight? And what is your favorite story that isn't in the Bible? I'll give you about 10 minutes or less. Ready, go. All right. Uh, I know. It's too bad. It's too bad. Let's uh, come back together. I know you're not done. That's kind of intentional. I can tell because many of you are still chatting, which is great. I, I've, I meant to do this before we started, uh, before we started our little pockets. And so, I need us all to, uh, you know, we've kind of been uh, entertaining some liturgical uh, iterations of things. So, this is kind of like a liturgical thing. So, uh, we're all going to say this together. Should I go put the robe on? Probably wouldn't fit me. (laughs) You think it'd fit me? (laughs) Uh, I can speak. Openly and freely, openly and freely. On, Wednesday nights, on Wednesday nights, without judgment from others. Judgment from others. Amen. 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 Do, you, do you notice one of the greatest critiques of Wednesday night discussion groups is somehow when we leave this space and you are, um, it says M on your driver's license your tongue is somehow cut off so that when you sit down in another place, you're like. So may we just hold all of our discussion in here because you all spoke very openly and freely. You're not done. That's the point is so then you can continue. It's like when you sit down to a great meal, you just say, I didn't finish this, but I'll get to eat it later. And that'll be I' have never do that. <laughs> all right, so let's continue. Um, so let's talk about kind of what we have here at the beginning. Uh, Matthew was the Gospel of Matthew was, was really what the early church lived on, and was, it was circulated openly and widely, and it, it was heavily Jewish. And one of the things that I want to challenge you with, you're like, okay, all this homework already? Yep. So we've got the sentence thing, uh, and we've been trying to—we were trying to prep you for this with the whole month of listening to Matthew. Uh, each week, I want to challenge us with a spiritual discipline. This week's discipline is going to be sit and read, or stand and listen. I mean, you could stand and read, stand and walk, and listen to Matthew in one continuous time frame. So. Sit and read, or maybe you and somebody else, or maybe you and your new friends can finish your discussion, and then you can read to each other. Carla's like, yeah, that might be kind of fun. Because, again, the the early church would have not sat and read this by themselves, and they certainly wouldn't have sat and read one chapter at a time. They would have sat and really bathed in the totality of what the narrative is trying to do. So what I want us to do is, in the next week is either sit and read, or I love to uh, walk and I love to listen and walk because I'm an auditory learner and so I can hear things. Because when you listen or when you read, you're going to start to see things that jump out and see these things. For example, the, Jew- the heavily Jewishness of Matthew comes out in phrases like we see in 122. 122, he says, All this took place, the birth of Jesus, to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. And then he gives the verse that we read before. And then in 2, 5, they told him in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, and you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. And then in two fifteen. And uh, remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Out of Egypt I called my son, skipping ahead to 17. Then was fulfilled that was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. And so Matthew is making direct allusions to the Old Testament, direct references to the Old Testament, because he has this predominantly Jewish audience that would have known their Old Testament. And when they hear these things, they're like, "Oh, that's right! Oh, yes!" Connecting these dots to understand who Jesus was and what He was doing while He was here on this earth. And so that's this this theme that we're going to continue to see throughout the book uh, or the Gospel of Matthew. I'm going to try I'm going to try as best I can to not say the Book of Matthew. I'm going to say the Gospel of Matthew. So. The challenge is when we sit down and read one chapter, we don't see how these themes are repeated uh, throughout. We don't catch uh, all of the Jewishness that takes place within the Gospel of Matthew. So who wrote this book? <laughs> well, you say, of course, Matthew. Well, you know, we can get into some of the minutiae and, and uh, questions around who would have written this and and why are they saying Matthew? And you know, if is the one that's writing it, why is his call to be a disciple not until much later in the gospel? How would he have known these things if he wasn't there when he doesn't get called until later? Um, one of the interesting things when we look at biblical interpretation is if, if we were to write a book where we were the star chances are we would paint a quite high view of ourselves. Because why would you write a book or a a story disparaging either yourself or the group that you're affiliated with? And so Matthew is not doing any sort of self-aggrandizing throughout uh, the gospel. He's a tax collector. That's going to be a group of people that doesn't get a lot of great press throughout the narrative and so if it wasn't Matthew who was it more than likely it was Matthew because of many of these different things um, his Jewishness his own technical skills that he would have had as a tax collector and writing things down and being able to do those types of things and so they're really there's some kind of like interesting conversation but most of the people that are doing that are doing it to create interest to Keep their jobs as biblical scholars. Because if it's like, well, Matthew's the, the writer, yep, okay, we all agree. Like, I gotta have 30 more pages on authorship in this commentary. What in the world? So, we can all mostly agree on that. Where is he writing this gospel to, or where is he writing this gospel at, or where is he sending this gospel to? Most likely, he's sending it to Antioch. We see Arrhenius. Um, Write this in 175. He says, Matthew also issued a written gospel among the Hebrews in their own dialect while Peter and Paul and Mary, no, he, Mary wasn't there yet, were preaching at. I'll give you permission every time. It might be really stupid, but if you're like snickering, just laugh out loud. It's fine. While Peter and Paul were preaching at Rome and laying the foundation of the church. So, Arrhenius, in 175, is writing, giving Matthew the credit for this gospel. Seems to be the case that a source that is that close to the dating of this gospel probably knew who was the writer of this gospel. And then we look at timing, probably in the 70 to 100 range. Most likely, Mark was... Yes? Uh, Yeah, he was uh, early... uh, Ancient writer, philosopher, church father. I mean, I don't know if he'd technically be a church. Would you call him a church father, you people that are Arrhenius scholars? (laughs) Yeah, thank you. Yeah, he would be, you know, like if there was a Mount Rushmore of like the early church, it'd be like Paul, you know, Peter, Arrhenius. (laughs) No. (laughs) I'm just kidding. So yeah, he would have been writing in the, in, he lived, I think his, he, his birth date was like 135-ish, so he was an early church father who's writing at the time um, and creating supplemental stuff for the church, and so he references Matthew's gospel. Uh, did I mention that I'm not an expert on Arrhenius <laughs> biblical scholarship? Um, Thank you for the question. I appreciate it. When we look at the structure of Matthew, uh, most people look at the five sermons that exist. So there are five key teaching moments of Jesus uh, that exist throughout uh, Matthew as really signature moments within the gospel. Um, obviously, maybe not obviously, uh, the Sermon on the Mount, which occurs from five to Seven is, you know, the Red Letter Bible is very helpful, because then when you look and you're like, oh, that's a lot of red ink. That must be a sermon. (laughs) Um, And then in 10, he also has an extended uh, teaching that goes almost 10 through 11. uh, And then 13 is another big extended sermon. 18, and then 23 through 25. Um, So, as we look at how we see these breaks within the text, um, those are kind of the five signature sermon moments um, within the gospel itself. So, since some of you aren't done discussing, and others of you, we should have started with a math lesson, less than seven. Seven. I forgive you. you No judgment. judgment. What I said was no judgment on what you say in your discussion groups. (laughs) That's, you took the same oath. (laughs) Uh, So those of you that are continuing in the discussion, some of you have left while I've been looking at the paper. Uh, Next set of questions. What has been your experience with the gospel of Matthew before this gathering? And what is one thing that you are hoping for in these Wednesday nights? So what has been your experience up to this point with the gospel of Matthew? And what is something that you're hoping for throughout the time that we have together um, in this school year uh, here on Wednesday nights? All right. And if you want to keep going on your other discussion God bless you. All right, uh, let's come back together here. Um, who else didn't get the sheet with the the specific Matthew things that still wants one? Anyone? I think I got everyone. Okay.. Uh, one of the things that, that I think is important or interesting for us to, to point out as we begin are some of the key themes that we're going to see throughout the book of Matthew. And hopefully, as you read and listen, read or listen uh, as you're going, you'll start to pick up on some of these things. When I think it was the second or third time I'd listened to, the, to Matthew, I started to notice one of the themes that Matthew uses in driving the narrative, is very specific uh, time signatures or um, action signatures that are related to time. So, for example, when uh, Jesus calls some of the disciples, they immediately go and follow him. Things happen immediately. And he also says, and now, regularly, regularly. So he's trying to move the story along by using some of these time signatures. Also, what you're going to notice, hopefully, is at the beginning, we're going to move very quickly throughout big swaths of time. And then as he approaches, as Jesus approaches Jerusalem, except for the Sermon on the Mount, I get that, two chapters of one sermon, uh, As he gets closer to Jerusalem, we're going to slow way, way, way down. And so the the end is going to be a number of chapters, but the amount of time is actually going to be very slow within the narrative. Matthew's going to do that to draw our attention to what is happening and the importance of what is happening. So pay attention to that as some of the key themes. Also... Um, one of the key themes that we're going to notice is this contrast of groups. So he's going he's to lump whole swaths of people together as if they are one character within the narrative. So when he talks about tax collectors, when he talks about, um, you know, oh, ye of little faith is going to be another theme, but it is a theme about a large group of people. And so groups are going to function as whole uh, characters, even though there's multiple uh, groups of people. You know, when, when they go up to the Sermon on the Mount, it says there was a multitude of people. When he feeds all of the people, he's doing that. He's being very intentional in showing us this is one large group, but we want to see them as one unit, not as 4,000 individual people. Uh, when he feeds the, the group of individuals. What he's trying to do is he's going to contrast, in particular in the Sermon on the Mount, there's this multitude of people, an ambiguous number, and then there's a distinct group of people that is the disciples. And so he's going to use this uh, structure to, to show us how different groups relate or function within uh, the narrative Itself. So be uh, interested or be paying attention to that. Also, as I mentioned, this whole faith and doubt uh, theme, if we look at 826, uh, and again, if you're a disciple writing about how the Savior <laughs> views you, you it's amazing that you're going to include this. And so it causes us to pause and, and to pay attention. So it's uh, 8.26. And what's happening is they're crossing. There's the storm. And Jesus says to the disciples, why are you afraid? Oh, you of little faith. And then again, in fourteen thirty one, he says the same thing. Fourteen thirty one. Peter goes into the wa- you know Peter goes out to walk on the water. He sinks, and Jesus immediately immediately see he immediately reaches out his hand. There is this importance of how things happen and and the timing in which they happened. Reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying to him, O you of little faith, why did you doubt? Now check this out. In 1528, so right after that, so in the narrative, they're crossing, Peter walks on the water, he sinks, and he is chastised for lacking in faith. Then we get this Canaanite woman right, in, right after that, within the narrative. Now, we're going to get into why this is significant, this Canaanite woman. Needless to say, she's not real high on the social c- category within the Jews, uh, in the view of, of Jews uh, at the time. And Jesus heals her and says, Oh, great. Where am I at? 28. Jesus answered her, O oh, woman, great is your faith. Be it done for you as you desire. Oh, great is your faith. So check this out. We have Peter who is chastised for lacking in faith, and we have this Canaanite woman who is like the opposite end of the spectrum from a Jew like Peter. And she is being commended for her faith. So Matthew is trying to paint these pictures of how people are relating to the Christ, whether they be the people that are supposed to relate to him, the Jews, or the people that aren't supposed to relate to him, like a Canaanite woman, and how their faith is lived out within uh, the story. Likewise, uh, sorry, we skipped over it. Back in 922, we get the same uh, commending of A person's faith. Now, notice (laughs) in 826, the disciples are chastised for their lack of faith, and shortly thereafter, who is commended for faith? A female. Jesus turned and seeing her, said, Take heart, daughter, your faith has made you well. Now, part of understanding the narrative is also understanding the context in which the narrative resides. We can't, we can't just take it and move it into our context today, which we often do. These individuals that Matthew is bringing forward into the narrative have very important functions. And so we're going to have to move ourselves into understanding why is it such a stark contrast that Jesus is referencing the chosen ones, the disciples, and their lack of faith, and then Matthew chooses to highlight these females and how their faith produces these amazing things. So those are some things, some themes that we're going to be exploring. Another interesting theme that stuck out to me, no shock to many of you, is the role of food that takes place within the narrative and how Matthew uses food within his narrative structure from Jesus fasting for 40 days in the wilderness at the very beginning, how we see him providing the feedings, the miraculous feedings, how right after he feeds the multitude, the disciples they go over, across water, which is another big theme of Matthew and how water functions within the narrative and the story, they go over and they don't have any food. They're like, Jesus, we're hungry. Like, did you just, you've missed the part about like me producing these miracles and providing food. And so we're going to see how food functions as a theme how the fruit of trees is going to f- also function within the, f- the, uh, f- the theme of food uh, within uh, the overall structure. As I n- mentioned briefly, water plays a key role and is a theme that will uh, happen throughout the story. And then maybe the biggest theme that happens within uh, the book, well, maybe the second biggest theme is The number of healings that take place and when they happen, how they happen, to what level they happen, and who they happen to. So again, as you're reading or listening, notice how many healings happen. Notice who is healed and notice how to what extent they are healed. Um, So you're going to want to pay attention to that as we go as well. The last one, and uh, one of the commentators, uh, France, points out that fulfillment is, again, probably the key theme for him uh, within Matthew, as we mentioned, Matthew's Jewishness and the fulfillment of scriptures, and so we're going to be talking about that throughout, um, throughout our time together. The use of uh, Christ as a title happens 17 times within, within Matthew's uh, gospel. Happens right away. Um, in verse 18 of chapter 1, Matthew refers to Jesus as the Christ, now the birth of Jesus Christ. Again, we've said this before. Christ is not Jesus' last name. <laughs> so, Yeah, it's not like Jesus Christ as if that's his last name. It's Jesus the Christ. And then in 1616, we get uh, the big declaration. Jesus says, but who do you say that I am? Uh, 1616, Simon Peter replies, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. So Jesus' role as the Christ, as the Messiah, is going to uh, continue to come up throughout uh, the narrative of what we have here. All right? Um, One thing I want to, again, reference uh, out of this book, talking about themes and the importance and what Matthew is trying to do, uh, the writers say this, Finally, Matthew is quite clearly offering a manual for discipleship for a church living as a minority group in a hostile majority culture. So this manual for uh, discipleship. And then they say at the end of this section on Matthew, Matthew's story is jolting, convicting, heartening, and above all, demanding... If Jesus' followers take it seriously, Matthew's story is jolting, convicting, heartening, and above all, demanding if Jesus' followers take it seriously. So we can come to Scripture and we can say, I really want to brush up on my Matthew so I can. You know, be prepared for Bible baffle. Uh, And, you know, when my Christian friends and I get together and play Bible trivia. (laughs) Or we can go to the text seeking to grow in our understanding of who God is and what he desires for us and from us and how we are to live as disciples. Because when when we really engage with what Jesus is calling his disciples to, it gets pretty challenging, extremely challenging. And so as we go, we're going to be asking regularly, okay, I hear this. I hear what you're saying. Do I want to do what you're calling me to? And so Jesus right away, that's why Matthew, I think in so many ways, places the Sermon on the Mount at the beginning because you get through the first part of the Sermon on the Mountain, you're like, yeah, maybe I'm not, maybe I'm not interested in living up or living into the what Jesus is calling uh, me to. So, one more question for your uh, time of discussion. And maybe you'd say this is two questions, but it's, in one sentence with one question mark. (laughs) What is one question that you have about the Gospel of Matthew and Wednesday nights this year? And when I say this year, I mean this school year. So what is one question that you either had going into tonight that has been kind of ruminating in the back of your minds or maybe it has come up tonight? Uh, in either something that I've said or something that you've discussed in your groups. Uh, What is one question that you have about Matthew and Wednesday nights this year? So we're not looking to answer those questions. We're simply looking to express those questions openly with our new friends. With no judgment. Thank you, Sal. No judgment. Open. All right? I'll give you guys some time. All right, let's uh, come back together, you're welcome, um, anyone feel, feel uh, so bold and confident as to share, maybe a question that came up from a friend of yours? Yes, in the back. Thank you. Uh, we if this going to be the <laughs> That's a great question. Great question. Who else is feeling that, that question? We like it. <laughs> oh. was that a question or a statement? <laughs> <laughs> Who else can relate to the question in the back? I know some of us don't do well with uncertainty. <laughs> so, thank you for your question. I appreciate it. <laughs> we didn't say we we're, an- I said we're not answering these questions. We're just like, we're just throwing them out there. It's like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, Yeah. We're going to try some new things. Uh, We're going to try some new things. So will it always be like this? Absolutely not. Uh, Will it ever happen again like this? Probably yes. So you're saying there's a chance. (laughs) Anyone else like to share a question that they might have? Yes. 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 So what do we do with the things in Matthew that uh, at first blush we don't want to participate in? That is a great question. Who else is feeling that same question? That's what, that's what we're going to that's why we're here to walk through that together. Other questions that came up? Yes. So why, the question is, why weren't there any women that were disciples? That's your question? Great question. Anyone else have that question? Uh, (laughs) Maybe people wouldn't listen to them. <laughs> uh, yeah, so we're gonna uh, when we start talking about the di- you know when we start talking about the twelve we're gonna talk a little bit about how do we distinguish the difference between what is a, an apostle and what is a disciple uh, because we we can misuse that term disciple when we say well these are the twelve as if they were the only disciples. They were their own category that is uh, far more specific than those who were disciples of Christ of Jesus. Does that help? Did mm-hmm. we have a question at the back? Are these questions ever going to be dealt with later? So, the question, I don't know if it's a, more of a statement, Um, how dare you not answer the valid questions that have arisen from the group? Amen. So, what I hear you saying is, you're afraid that I may forget I hear, I hear what you're saying, and I, uh, part of what I was trying to do with this exercise is uh, we don't often ask questions freely because uh, we can't handle not having an answer, <laughs> and also, when a question is asked, we can't sit in the uncertainty of not having that question answered, and then we also have the, some of us Many of us have parts within us that rise up to answer questions as if we have the authority to answer a question that we have no authority to answer, but we can't deal with the uncertainty of an unanswered question, so we answer out of ignorance, and then the person who's asked the question feels invalidated by the answer. So may I surmise that there is value in asking questions, not expecting answers, because when Jesus is asked many questions, as we will find in the Gospel of Matthew, he doesn't actually provide answers. Oftentimes, he asks a different question. And so if we are to be like Christ, <laughs> why do we think we need to provide an answer to a question when the point isn't necessarily the answer, the point is the thought process, because part of my desire is not to tell people what to think, it's to get us to think better, because I could sit up here and dictate to you, this is what Matthew says, and here's here's what he means, and this is what you should do. But that's not really helpful. But if we explore the text, and I say, Man, that's interesting. And then we get a question over here about this, and we get a question over here, and we and we're all like, God, those are good questions. I don't really know. Well, rather than saying, Yep, got my answer, let's move on, we start wrestling around and we start looking. Well, when Isaiah says this, that, what was Isaiah talking about? And this prophecy that Jeremiah says, and what about this? And, and then what about this? And, what, what, and then we wake up and we're like, I have 10 times more questions than I had at the beginning than when I started. And to which I say, yes! Woo! People love to say to me, you didn't answer my question. <laughs> you are correct. <laughs> so, uh, with all sincerity, I will seek to answer the questions that have arisen as we approach them in the text. And I'm more than happy to, to provide direct answers to confusing portions to help uh, bring clarity. I may choose to not answer questions, and when I choose to not answer a question, I'm not seeking to be evasive. I'm seeking to provide an opportunity for spiritual growth and intellectual growth and communal engagement around the questions that will arise. Does that help? Okay. So, did you have a question, Val? Okay. Um, I should say, do you want to share your question, or were you just scratching your head? Okay. Yes. Yeah, I <laughs> I appreciate your support. <laughs> yes. Um, so you about how wasn't laid out yes. Are any of the gospels written in what they need to be more of a chronological word? Um So the question is, are any of the Gospels deemed chronological? Now, Mark is the most streamlined Gospel in that respect. That's why often the idea is that Mark was the first Gospel. Part of that is to cause us to pause and not say, you know, this happened, then this happened, then this happened, then this happened, in this exact order. Because that's not the point. Um, So, for us to deem with great certainty that, you know, Jesus walked to this place, and then he walked to this place, and then he walked to this place in that specific order, how would we ever know? In a really, like, solid, factual way. But Mark is seeking to do that in a little more concise way. Um, So, all right, so uh, yes, last question. Yeah, so the question is, uh, do I have any idea of how long it takes to listen to or read Matthew and to, and to Gunner's point? It's about two and a half hours. Um, I think I've listened to it 10 times, and my reader at, at one speed, not 1.1 or 1.3, at one speed it takes about two hours and 45 minutes. So it depends on who's reading. It's between two and a half and three hours. Um, yeah, it just depends on and if you, if you want to listen to it a little faster because that's how your brain processes um, I mean, that's, I'm not going to tell you no. I would disagree with that. The question is, why why am I going to sit and listen to this? Or why am I going to walk and listen to this? Because I want to hear the story. It's not to get through it. It's to start to bathe and marinate in it. I mean, why do you put your turkey in the brine the night before? Can I get an amen? (laughs) Because it needs to absorb the goodness. Okay? So two and a half to three hours. You know, maybe you start in your kitchen and you're reading you're reading and you're drinking your coffee and then you say, Oh, it's a nice day, so I'm gonna go out for a walk and then I'm gonna listen to a little bit, and then I'm gonna come back and sit back down and read. Yeah, totally up to you. Yes, last second class. Like, so I use the ESV app. It's free on the yep, ESV app is what I use because that's the translation we use. I mean it's hard to argue with Max because Max is, is basically the Morgan Freeman of Bible reading. Um, so, ESV app, it's free uh, on the Apple iTunes store. So. Or the Google Play for you anti-Steve Jobs people. All right, it's 8 o'clock. Thank you so much for being here. I'm going to close this in a quick prayer um, and more of a blessing. Uh, But I thank you for being here, and I am so excited about this journey. I'm so excited about all the the questions and all the conversation. But may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you. May he lift up his countenance to you. And in these days, as we journey through this gospel together, may he give us peace. Go with that. Have a great night.